Today's scripture comes from Colossians 2, 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Some of you, if not most of us, are familiar with the name um, Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard Kipling was a well-known journalist and an author and, and poet at the turn of the 20th century in England. And he's best known for the popular book, Jungle Book. And he's also known for the noble words of the poem, If. However, he has some lesser known and some less noble works as well. One such poem that he wrote in 1899 is a poem that is entitled, The White Man's Burden the white man's burden. And in this poem, Kipling was arguing that America should continue to colonize the Philippines and to take up the white man's burden as England had done and therefore to bring civilization to the darker peoples of the world and to rescue rescue them from themselves. And so he wrote this poem to America as it was, telling America to take up the white man's burden, his responsibility, his obligation, his duty. Well, naturally, many were outraged and took exception to uh, Kipling's poems and his presumption and inherent racism. And his words were taken as a banner, uh, a banner for the continuous assault of white European-centric imperialism. One such person that took exception to this was an African-American pastor and journalist here uh, in New York, and his name was H.T. Johnson. And in response to Kipling, Johnson wrote a poem that was published the same year. It was entitled, The Black Man's Burden. He wrote, pile on the black man's burden, his well with laughter drowned. You've sealed the red man's problem and will now take up the brown. Beloved, you read that and the exchange that is going on there between what people presume to be the black man's burden and the white man's burden, and you are reminded, or at least you should be reminded, that this world has a tendency to lay burdens upon its creatures. Humanity believes that it is his responsibility to conquer or to be conquered, to take or to be taken, and and therefore the burden is laid upon us. 
of Darwin's survival of the fittest. Well, this is in accordance with human wisdom and human understanding. But I would suggest to you this morning that the Bible and the kingdom of God knows nothing of the white man's burden. The Bible and the kingdom of God knows nothing of the black man's burden. But what the Bible does know, however, is what is called, or I'm calling, the, the redeemed man's burden. The redeemed man's burden. I think that is what we are given in our text this morning. The burden of the redeemed. The responsibility, the duty, and the charge of those who have been called by Christ into the blessed inheritance in the kingdom of God. Last week, if you were here or you listened to the podcast, you would have heard Pastor Phil reminding us that in the last verses of chapter 1, we have there Paul's commissioning, that Paul was commissioned by God, and that Paul embraced that commission. He embraced the, the calling and and so this morning, what we see piggybacking on that this morning is that that commission and that calling came with a burden, came with duty, came with an obligation, came with a sense of responsibility. I want to call it this morning the burden of the redeemed. And what we see is we see the reality of the burden. We see the reason for the burden. And we see the result of this burden. So first we see the reality of the burden. He begins by letting them know, as he's speaking to these Colossian Christians, he begins by letting them know that there is a burden. He calls it a struggle. Right? He says, there is a struggle in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. A great struggle. The burden that Paul experienced was heavy and the struggle was real. The Greek word there is agonos means great struggle. It is the word from which we get, obviously, agonize. And Paul here is saying that he is engaged in this great struggle, that he has agony. And he agonizes over those Christians. He agonized over the saints in Colossae. But not only was his agony over the saints of Colossae, but over those in Laodicea, and not only those in Laodicea, but he is in agony for all of the Christians, particularly those who have never seen him face to face. Lover, this is amazing. Just think about those words and the burden that the Apostle Paul carried. He carried that burden for them 
It was a heavy burden. The struggling and the contending for the souls of the saints, beloved. And this was not a one-off deal for the Apostle Paul. For he says this in other places too. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19, he writes to them and he says, My little children for whom I am again in anguish. The anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I have this burden that Christ be formed in you and I am burdened with this. As someone who is giving birth to a child. Recently, someone asked my wife if she could do it all again. Would she have more children? And she joyfully said, yes, if I didn't have to give birth to them. (laughs) Yes. Because, beloved, we understand, we know the agony and the struggle and the burden that is carrying a child and and then the agony and struggle and the burden that is giving birth to the child. And Paul says, I am burdened souls of the saints as a mother is burdened with the birth of children that they would grow up that Christ would be formed in them that the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit would be realized in their lives this is what I live for this is what I preach for And more importantly, beloved, I think what Paul's saying is, this is what I pray for. This is what I pray for. But this is the reality of the apostles' ministry because it is the reality of prayer. When I hear Paul saying that he has this great struggle, this this agony, and he uh, he is anguished about them, I think he has given us an insight into his prayer life. That every day he prayed and was in anguish in his prayer for them. I think that's what he says early on in chapter 1 and verse 9. Remember that? Chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying. For you. Sam Storms puts it like this. He says, intercession is a battle. An agonizing war that demands concentration, effort, and sustained devotion. This was the constant burden of the apostle for the church. This is the burden, beloved, of the shepherd for the sheep. This is the burden of the saints for each other. This is the burden that is laid upon all the faithful of God. The burden of carrying one another in prayer continually. In fact, I think this is what the Apostle Paul desired because 
to the Romans in chapter 15 and verse 30, he asked them to join him in this burden. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit that you join me in my struggle. And what was the struggle? By praying, by praying to God for me. I'm not the only one who is to have the reality of this burden in their lives. This is a burden of the redeemed. And we be praying with and for one another. And then Paul gives us a little more insight into his prayer, doesn't he? Because he shows us what he prayed for. He tells us what he prayed for. What did he pray for? When in verse 2, he prayed for their encouragement. He hadn't seen them. He hadn't met them. And yet he still knew something about them. And that is that he, that they needed to be encouraged. You do not have to know what is going on in my life to know that I need encouragement. You don't know anything else to pray. You just get on your knees and say, pray, please, Lord, by your spirit, in the name of Jesus, pray for my pastor's encouragement. This is what we do. But the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Encourage one another and build one another up. Beloved, the world is filled with discouragement all over. And what I call, pardon the expression, courage suckers. Because they suck the courage right out of you. There are people like that. You have in your life immediately, and they are not an encouragement to you in the things of God, but as you enter their presence, you begin to sense your courage waning to stand up for Jesus. The courage suckers. Not just people, circumstances will do that. Pain. And heartache and loss and sickness will drain you of your courage to trust in the Lord. Will drain you of your courage to stand for Jesus, to speak out for him, to stand and continue believing. That is why Encourage is what we do. We encourage one another. We are not here to condemn one another. We are here to, we are here to encourage one another. We are not here to tear one another down. We are here to, here to build one another up. We are here to encourage each other. This is why, beloved, we preach the gospel. This is why we point people to Christ. 
This is why we preach the gospel to ourselves, so that we might do like David did, encourage ourselves. This is why it is important, beloved, that you're spending time in the Word. Why it's important that you're in the midst of the fellowship of the saints. This is why it is important that you're on your knees in prayer. And he carried the burden of their encouragement. And we are to carry that burden for one another. Encourage me. Pray that I encourage you. They not only prayed for their encouragement, notice that they also prayed for their unity, didn't he? In verse 2, he prayed that they would be knit together in love. This is a burden that he has. But it's not only a burden that he has, beloved, this is a burden we all should have. That we would be knit together in love because that is the power of love. The power of love is the ability to bind us together. That's what love does. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. Above all, clothe yourself in love, what? which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Love binds us together because love reminds us of those things that are most important and the reason why we are together. Because we love the same things. See, you and I are not here this, this morning and gathered in this place because, you know, we all love the Falcons. Because we all don't. Not because we all love the Bulldogs, because we all don't. It's not because we all love the Democratic platform or the Republican platform or the Libertarian platform. Because we don't. It's not because we all love hip-hop music or because we all love classical music. Because we don't. But the reason we are all gathered here this morning in some semblance of unity is because we all do love those things that are most important. We love God. We love the church. We love Christ. We love the truth. And that's what binds us together. That's what unites us, beloved. That's why we sing, blessed be the ties that bind our hearts in Christian love. And fellowship, kindred mind, is like to that above. Is love. Love for the same eternal things binds our hearts together. When you start insisting that people love simply the things that you love in your everyday existence, you are not binding us together in love. But you are probably putting a wedge between you and your We can learn to agree to disagree on the temporal realities of this world and still love one another 
because of the tie that binds us together, our love for the eternal reality of God, his truth, the church, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the burden that Paul had for the Colossians. This is the burden that we all must have, beloved, for the church and for one another, that we would be knit together in love. Not love for a certain kind of music, but love for God and the truth of his word and the person and work of Jesus Christ. That he not only prayed for their unity and he prayed for their encouragement, but notice he also prayed for their assurance. For he prayed that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He prayed for their full assurance. This is a burden that he has. This is a burden that we should have for one another. Why? Because, beloved, doubt is a battle of the Christian heart and mind every day. If you run into someone, a Christian, who says they have no doubt, they are either naive or they lie. Doubt is a battle that the Christian heart and mind faces all the time. And Paul knew that doubt was a constant battle And so notice that he says he wanted them to know all the riches of the full assurance in Christ. In Christ. Whatever doubts, whatever lack of understanding you have in this life, beloved, or about your life, Paul here, the Bible here, is saying that you find comfort and you find assurance in Christ, who is the revelation of the mystery of God. Now, we're going to spend some time unpacking that, beloved, because the world in which we are living in is constantly spinning, and it seems like it's spinning out of control. Out of control! Out of control! Whether it's President Trump or Kim Jong-il, whether it's white lives matter or black lives matter, whether it's the far left or the alt-right, you look around our world and it's just spinning and spinning and spinning and you wonder how you're going to make sense of it all. this morning says that if you would put Christ and his eternal reign at the center of your picture of the world, this world would stop spinning out of control for you will begin to see and observe the eternal purposes and the will of God in it all. This is what Paul is saying. 
You can have full assurance when you have the understanding and the knowledge of the revelation of God that is in Christ. Oh, I pray, God. I pray that you would understand reality of the burden that the apostle has and the reality of the burden that every redeemed man and woman should have is the reality that is found in Christ and so too is the reason is the reason notice what he says in verse 4 the reason for the burden is this Paul says I say this, I share this, I am praying this in order that, that's the reason, right? In order that, that's the reason, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's the burden I have, that you will not be deceived by the world in which you are living and the reports that you are hearing every day. That you would not fail to take Christ, who is the ultimate reality and the revelation of God. Full understanding and knowing him and place him at the center of it all so that you would not be deluded. This is not only the burden that the Apostle Paul has for the Colossians and Laodicean and all those yes. Beloved, this is the burden that your leadership has for you every day. That you would not be deluded. That you would not be deceived by plausible arguments. For the saints in Colossae, like the saints everywhere, at all times, beloved, they were under attack. And the attack comes then and the attack comes now the attacks were arguments against the truth of Christ. Arguments against Christ. And I like how Paul puts it. He says that you would not be deluded by persuasive, enticing, seducing words. That's what it means. Persuasive, enticing, and seducive words. Why? Because the arguments of the enemy, beloved, are well-crafted. They are smooth. They are fancy. They are fine-sounding. When Paul was making this point to the Romans, as he gets to the end of his letter to the Romans, he talks about these people. And he says, for such persons do not deserve, do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. This is a burden that the apostle has, beloved. This is a burden for the redeemed. If you are redeemed this morning, this is a brother that this is a burden that we have for one another. Because, beloved, you understand, if you don't, you need to understand that the enemy's arguments are rarely irrational. He doesn't come with irrational or arguments that are not plausible. 
They make sense to the natural man. They make sense to your flesh. They make sense to the, to the heart or mind that is not filled with the Spirit of God, that is not filled with the Word of God. Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress as he walks, as he runs in the worldly wise man. He tells him to take another route. And this is a better route. This is a route that is less burdensome. This is plausible. This is reasonable. This feels good. Sounds right. Appeals to your fleshly sensibilities. Those guys on the corner, little five points and big points. They got plausible arguments. But don't be deceived, beloved. Don't be deceived. Just because they got fancy words on the street corner. Don't be deceived. Just because they can, they can pull out some historical timeline. Don't be deceived just because they can quote somebody from history that you have never heard of. Don't be deceived, beloved, just because they have a YouTube channel and they're live on Facebook and they can present PowerPoints. Here is the truth of the matter. If the revelation that they are presenting to you is not the revealing of the person and work of Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God, it is founded upon a lie. This is what the Bible is saying this morning. Don't be deceived, beloved. It is not from God. For if it is the truth of God in Christ Jesus, then what its ultimate gain, our ultimate goal is, is the reconciling of all things. And the reconciling of people. Don't miss that. Don't miss that because this is the purpose of the revelation of the mystery of God in Christ Jesus. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and therefore giving us the ministry of reconciling with one another. Ask them the question, is this the truth that leads me to lean and trust in Jesus who by his blood brought peace? Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay. If their arguments are creating more hostility and is throwing up more divided walls, then you know that it's not the work of Christ because Christ has torn down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by doing what? Abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinances. 
so that he might create in himself what? One new man in place of the two, thereby making peace. Here's how you know. Here's how you know. Any argument, any argument, whether it's on the street corner or in the church, any argument that says Jew over Gentile or Gentile over Jew is a false argument. Any argument that says black over white or white over black is a false argument no matter how plausible it seems. No matter how plausible it seems, no matter how appealing it might be to your own sinful sensibilities. Don't be persuaded, beloved, away from Christ. Stay with Jesus. Whatever you hear, you stay with Jesus. You tell them, wow, that sounds okay. That sounds right. That sounds like it could be true. But let me ask you a question. Is it pointing to Christ who has torn down the dividing wall between black and white, Jew and Gentile, and is now making us one new man? Is that the end of it? And if it is not, then by the mercies of God, you can tell them, to go back to the pit of hell from which it come. This is a burden that the apostle had that these people would not be deluded by persuasive arguments. And I see it too often in our church. It is easy to be persuaded by these plausible arguments. And so I say to you, beloved, don't turn away from Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Why? Why? Because of what the Bible says in verse 3. In him, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why you stay with him. In him. Not in Moses. Not in Abraham. Not in David, in Christ, are all the wisdom and knowledge of God hidden. And that is the revelation of God. You want to know the truth of God, you find it in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the treasure hidden in the field in Matthew chapter 13. He is the pearl of great price that you give all that you can in order to have it, beloved. Stay with Jesus. I feel like the Apostle Paul. I feel like Paul. Whether I see you again or not, you, I want you to stay with Jesus. Whether you are at East Point Church or whether you are at East Point Church no more. The matter is not whether or not you are at East Point Church. The matter is whether or not you're with Jesus. Whether you're here or not, stay with Jesus. Don't be deceived. And don't be fooled. 
reason for the burden. You too will not be deceived. I say to you. And what is the result of this burden? Our text reminds us as we close the result of this burden that comes from God, beloved, is rejoicing in the heart. As we say, you're not heavy. You're my brother. That's what Paul says to the Colossians. It may sound heavy, but y'all are not heavy because you are my brothers and sisters. And this burden comes from God. And I rejoice in it. I rejoice in it. He carried this burden for his brothers and sisters. He hoped they carried one for him too because this burden is a source of joy. This is the first source of joy. And notice what he says in verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul was a little anxious. He's a little anxious. He knows how he begins that. Now, you know I'm not with you. You know, I really don't know what's happening. I'm not there. It's like, you know, when you, you, know, you, you take your kids off to school like we did, you know, last week. You take them off to school. You drive them up. You know, you unload the car. You get them set up in the dorm room. And then you walk away. And you're like, did I just do that? Did I just leave them in a place that I know nothing of? Did I just leave them in a place where I will not see them? Paul says, I'm not with you. And it brings up some element of anxiety. But then notice that that he remembered that though I'm not with you, I'm praying for you. And immediately he says, but I'm with you in spirit. My prayers are constantly with you. This burden I have is for you. And if I am praying for you, then I can be out of your presence with confidence. That's what we have to remember. That I walk away from that dorm room and drive away from that campus, I have to say to myself, my prayers are with them and I can be confident. That all will be well. Because my prayers are with them. Confident, confident, he says. Confident that he would see and hear about their good order. This is a military reference, beloved, that he would hear that they are all there, present and accounted for. And everybody is in tip-top shape. And everything is in order that the troops are all present and the ranks and the files are properly formed. 
in their life. Why? Because I've been praying. And when you really pray, beloved, that's the confidence you have. Not because the Colossians were immune from fancy arguments, because they are not. Not because your children are immune to the temptations that come from being away from their parents, because they are not. The confidence doesn't come from the Colossians. The confidence doesn't come from the children. The confidence comes because you are persuaded that he who began a good work in them will bring it to completion. That's where the confidence comes. You pray. Confidence. And while the darts of the enemy are fiery and they are pointed, confidence because you have prayed that no weapon formed against them will prosper. That's the confidence. Confidence, beloved, that your burden and laboring in prayer for them, that God will hear and there will be a confidence that wells up into you so that you can say, I'm rejoicing in what the Lord is doing in your life. Because I know and I am fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted in him to him against the end of his age. I am confident that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's where the confidence comes and that is where joy you know that the burden that you have for your brothers and sisters around you is ultimately a source of your rejoicing. And that's why we thank God for the burden of the redeemed. It becomes your source 